If you have your Bible, open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Um, if you have a, a, a phone or uh, some other app that you use your, your Bible on, you can do that. If you don't own a Bible, um, I want to get back in the habit of saying that we have one for you. And so if you don't own a Bible, at the, at the Info Hub um, on your way out, there's a Bible there. You can go get one now. It looks just like this. And I can tell you in this Bible, uh, I'm going to be on page uh, 700. And 96. I don't know if that helps you in your Bible or not, but that's where we're going to be. 1 Corinthians uh, 6. We're in this series called Guardrails. And uh, what we've said for the last two weeks is that a guardrail is a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. Now, there's a couple of uh, phrases I want to key on there. One is guardrails are a system. Okay, so it's not just, we think of a guardrail as a singular piece, but it's really a system. It, it's a, 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 you, you see there's a system of guardrails. There are uh, uprights and there are um, horizontal pieces. I don't know what they're called. I didn't do my guardrail research this week, but it's a system designed to keep vehicles from straying. And we've said that the guardrail is always placed actually in a safe area to drive, but that we know that what's on the other side, somewhere on the other side, there's danger. And what we've said for the purposes of our series today is that a guardrail, as it it, um, relates to our personal lives, is a standard of behavior or a personal standard of behavior that eventually becomes a matter of conscience. And so what we want to do over these four weeks of this series uh, is we want to look at some areas in our lives specifically, and we want to put into place a standard of behavior that becomes an area of con- or a matter of conscience for us, because we believe that's how God speaks to us a lot of times is through our conscience. And so I think a guardrail is a great visual story because we see them all the time. We don't always recognize they're there. Um, but I got an email this week from a friend of mine, and he gave me permission to share his story, but not to share his name. And maybe you'll see why uh, here in a minute. But this is his guardrail story. Uh, my friend is a, is a motorcycle rider, and uh, he made his first trip uh, to uh, a, a road called the Tail of the Dragon. It's in Deals Gap, North Carolina, in the Blue Ridge Mountains, just outside the Smokies, I think is where it is. And uh, this road, you can see the video here on the screen, this road has uh, 318 curves over 11 miles of road. And what these guys do is they, they go to the top of this road, and they get on their bikes, just like this guy's doing, and they uh, try to go as fast as they can uh, down this road called the Tail of the Dragon. You can see uh, that there are no guardrails. And uh, uh, you'll see maybe one or two in this entire video if you watch the whole thing. But if you look off to the side, there's a pretty steep drop-off. There's uh, some danger involved in there. So my friend, for the first time, he's on his Harley Sportster, which I don't know how much you know about motorcycles. Not the best uh, handling bike in the world, okay? Even though it's called a Sportster, it's not very sporty. Uh, But he's on this bike, and of course, you're white-knuckling it all the way down this road. He gets to the end of the road, and he's made it. His first time down, he's just thrilled to have made it. And so his group gathers up at the bottom of this road, and they all uh, take off, and they hit the highway uh, where you're going 60 to 65 miles an hour. And he starts thinking about, man, what a great ride, how great he did uh, on the tail of the dragon. And wouldn't you know it, he lays down his bike on the highway. But fortunately, he says, he ran into the guardrail. Now, I don't always think of that as being fortunate uh, on a motorcycle to run into the guardrail and actually uh, hit the vertical piece of the guardrail on his body and ended up uh, breaking a hip and cracking a few ribs, and his trip was over. But here's what he told me. He said, I was so grateful in that moment for the guardrail because on the other side of that guardrail was a drop-off that was 700 feet. This road is at 5,000 feet of elevation. There's a 700-foot drop-off on the other side. If it weren't for the guardrail... He said, I might not be telling you this story today. And what a great visual. And then the other thing he said, which really struck me, is this. He said, you know, when the road is really curvy and windy and everybody's paying attention, you don't need the guardrails so much. You don't notice them so much. He said, but it's when the road seems to ease up a bit that the guardrail really comes in handy. 
And I think that's so true and it's so appropriate for what we're going to talk about today. The area of your life where we're going to talk about guardrails today is in our sex lives. Now, uh, so here's what we're doing. I want to tell you, in case you go from campus to campus, uh, what we're doing is uh, today at the Noblesville campus, uh, Paul Mumaw is talking about uh, guardrails in your financial life. And then I'm talking about guardrails in your sex life. And the next week, we're going to switch, and Paul will be here to talk about finances. So if you usually go from campus to campus, you'll want to stay put for the next couple weeks, unless you just love this message so much that you want to go hear it again. You know, they say, uh, if you want people to come to your church, you should talk about sex. And if you want them to leave, you should talk about money. And so uh, maybe people are from there are over here today for that very reason. But, but, but the point of a guardrail is this. A guardrail might cause damage. It may even cause injury, but it would be far less than if the guardrail weren't there. And so with that in mind, uh, let's take a look at what it means to put guardrails in our sex lives. 1 Corinthians 6, uh, verse 18, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he says this. He says, flee from sexual immorality. We'll talk about what that means in a few minutes. And then he says this, all other sins... Now, when I read that, that's a cue to me, okay? It says that there is something different about this one area of our lives. Because Paul says all other sins, all other sins what? He says uh, all other sins are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Now the idea here is that Paul viewed sexual sin as somehow different from every other type of sin. I mean, if you think about um, all of the rules and regulations that the Jewish people were living under at this time, there are 613 commands in the Old Testament. Paul said, hey, there's this one type of sin that's set apart. It's different from every other type of sin. Now, here's what he didn't say, okay? And here's the mistake as Christians I think we sometimes make, that, that sexual sin is worse in God's eyes than other sin. That's not what Paul says here. All right? Sometimes we, we make that mistake that, that, you know what, your adultery is much worse than my gossip or that your you know, homosexual lifestyle is worse than my lying. But that's not what Paul says here. It's not what he says. He says, no other sin a, a, a person com- or all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. I mean, the, the idea is that the, the effect it has on us is the reason that sexual sin is so much different. It's, it's the effect that it has on us. It's not necessarily the effect that it has on the people that sin against. I mean, but the truth is we can recover from a lot of different sins. I mean, if we um, have an issue in our career and we lie or we cheat or we steal to get ahead, it's, it's terrible. It's bad. Um, but you can recover from that. I mean, you, can, you might get fired. You might um, you know, have a black mark on your name for a while. But... Somewhere down the road, you can get a new job, and you can build back that financial reserve, and you can recover from that. You know, if you have a, a, a problem in college, and, and some sin pattern or habit causes you to um, miss out on getting your college degree, you, know, you can recover from that. You could come back, and you could go to another school, and you can get another degree, and you can, you can learn something else. If you have um, a sin that affects your family, and you have a major disagreement, a rift, a falling out in your family. I mean, time can heal that. Over time, uh, you can forgive each other, and you can be back together with your family. But the, here's the thing. Sexual sin is very, very hard to recover from. I mean, think about the people that you know in your life, if you know any, who have been abused sexually. I mean, think about the people who have been raped or molested. I mean, those people, it's hard for them to recover. That's what Paul's talking about. No other sin 
affects the body like that. That's why I shudder when our culture tries to tell us that sin or that sex is just physical. Because I think we all know intuitively, we all know in our heart that that's not right. That, that sex is not just a physical act. It's not just two bodies coming together. That there's something spiritual. There's something emotional about that, right? Uh, this, is how, this is how God sees it, okay? And this is the, the plan um, for sex, uh, which God created, by the way. So when you hear this during this entire message, I don't want you to hear me saying that sex is bad, that uh, sex isn't fun, that sex is... Uh, uh, in any way, not from God, because it is. But this is God's plan for sex. Genesis 2.24 says this, That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Now, I, uh, before I was on staff here, I used to uh, help out with our youth group. And uh, as I was teaching this passage one time, I thought about a way that I could best demonstrate what it means to become one flesh because it's hard for us as bodies that have boundaries uh, to think about what it means to be one flesh with somebody. And I came up uh, with this idea, and I think it worked pretty well. Um, the high schoolers got a kick out of it, and it also helped, I think, con- uh, convey the story. And so uh, Scripture tells us that God created us. Do you agree with that? Scripture says that God um, reached down to the ground and grabbed some dust and breathed life into it, and he made us. He, he molded us. It's, uh, part of one, one piece of Scripture says that um, we are like clay in the potter's hands. And so if you think about this, uh, you are a piece of clay. You are created by God. You are molded. It's shaped in his image. That's what Scripture tells us, right? And then one day you see another beautiful piece of clay, a shapely piece of clay maybe, and, uh, and you're attracted to this other piece of clay. And so God's design is that you and this other piece of clay uh, would come together, right, and become one flesh. That's God's design. That's God's design for sex. That's God's design for marriage. Now, the problem comes when we decide, for whatever reason, that we no longer want to be united with this other piece of clay, and so uh, we decide that this is just not right for us. And so what we do is we try to separate ourselves um, from this other piece of clay. And what happens is we get part of that other piece of clay left behind. Part of that other flesh is left behind. And this is why divorce can be so painful. And this is why um, a separation in a love relationship can be so painful. And so um, we've got our scars, but as we're going through life, we see another piece of clay. And we think that that might just be the one. You know what? Um, I was young. I was stupid. It was silly. Um, it was just a fling. But you know what? He's the one. He's so cute, and he smells good most of the time. And, and so uh, we're going to come together, and this is the one. I just feel it. This is the relationship that's going to last for life, or at least you know, for a few years uh, until it's inconvenient. And then we start to tear away again. And our piece of clay all of a sudden starts to look a little different than how it was created. Because we're not one flesh now. We're one flesh with some pieces of other flesh uh, to, uh, attached to it. And then, and then the other piece of clay comes along. And by now, you know what? We're already damaged goods anyway. And so we might as well just become one flesh with whoever comes together. And pretty soon, we don't look anything like what God created us to be. And the problem with this is there's a couple things. One, it's, it's outside of God's design. 
That's a problem. But the reason it's a problem is, too, it affects our body and it affects our image of ourselves, right? I mean, if you know people who've been in multiple, multiple sexual relationships, you know that most of them have very low self-esteem. Now, that could be a result of being in those relationships or it could be the cause of being in those relationships. But the truth is, over time, when we decide to take this area of our life into our own hands, we end up looking not at all like what God created us to be. Now, you may read that verse in Genesis 2.24 and you think, now, Steve, he's not talking about sex there. He's just talking about marriage. But I want you to see how much these two things are interrelated in the eyes of God. I'll just give you one verse to give you an example here. It's from Exodus 22.16, and it says this. Now, this is, this is one of those 613 rules that God has laid down for the Old Testament people, okay? But in Exodus 22.16, it says, If a man seduces a virgin who is not pledged to be married and sleeps with her, he must pay the bride price, and she shall be his wife. And so the idea here is even in ancient cultures, um, this, this rule says that if you are going to uh, have sex with somebody, then you need to marry them. You need to pay the price to marry them, and you become a married person. The idea here is that if you're going to act like a married person, you need to be a married person. This is, this is God's design for this, and this is uh, why this illustration is so valuable, okay? So uh, with all that said, what is sexual sin? I could spend the rest of the time up here talking about um, the things that make up sexual sin, but let's just suffice it to say that it's anything outside of God's design. I mean, Scripture has a lot of talk, it has a lot of ideas about, in fact, Leviticus 18, um, if you need some good uh, reading tonight, Leviticus 18 has a whole list of, um, of sexual sins that a person can commit. It's not an exclusive list or an exhaustive list, but it's a list. But the truth is that anything outside of God's design for marriage um, is sexual sin. And so anything that is sexual sin, Paul says, you should flee from. Now, you may think that's simplistic. Um, if, if you uh, have been around church for a while, you may think, well, that's pretty legalistic. Uh, if you're not a Christian and you're here visiting, and you're, you just want to hear this, you might think um, that's not very loving to say that people are in sinful behavior just because it doesn't match up with what the Bible says. But, but I'm telling you that laying out the rules for marriage and sex is one of the most loving things that God can do because you see that no other sin affects the body like sexual sin does, right? Uh, and in the same way that your parents warned you against crossing the busy street when you were a kid, and you may have looked down the street and not seen any cars coming. You didn't understand it. You desperately wanted to get across that street. But your parents knew that there were other things to look out for, right? They knew that there was something there that could cause damage to you, that could hurt you. Well, in the same way, a loving father uh, does the same thing. And eventually, hopefully, you realize the wisdom in that. And hopefully, uh, you, if you have kids now, you don't let your kids cross busy streets by themselves. Uh, let me give you one other example. Um, a few years back, uh, we had a pretty big ice storm where we lived and uh, lost a lot of limbs and branches. Uh, we had uh, a bunch of trees in our yard, and I decided I was going to pile all these up in our fire pit so that when it dried out a little bit, uh, we could have a bonfire. And so um, I got these limbs and branches, put them in our fire pit, and it, it was almost six feet, it was over six feet high. And I had a friend that came over to the house one day, and he was just strolling around our backyard, and he said, are, are you going to light that on fire? And I said, well, yeah, that's the plan. And he goes, would you call me over when you do that? Because I want to see that thing go up. You know, um, sex is a lot like fire. 
we, we even use some of the same words to describe it when you think about it. You know, if you, if you ha- uh, like somebody, if you're attracted to somebody, you might say he's hot, right, or she's hot. Uh, you might um, have a burning desire for them. If it's even deeper than that, maybe it's a burning desire. Or, or if it's somebody that you used to like, well, they're just an old flame. You know, don't worry about that. Or, but, but if it's an old flame that maybe you want to get back together with, you might try to rekindle that relationship, right? We use some of the same words to describe sex and fire. And I got to tell you, um, the last two houses I lived in, we had wood-burning fireplaces. And over the last week when we were snowed in the house, and, uh, and we couldn't go anywhere, and it was cold outside, I would have loved to have a fireplace. Our new house doesn't have a fireplace. I would have loved nothing more than to sit by a warm, cozy fire and read a book and just relax the day away in that way. But if I decided to take matters into my own hands and decide that since, you know what, I don't have a fireplace right now, maybe I'll just set a fire in the living room, it probably wouldn't have been a good idea, right? Right? Because that was outside of the plan, the design for the people who planned my house, right? Was to have a fire in the living room. And so in the same way that a fire contained in a fireplace uh, is, can be uh, heartwarming and cozy and, and nice and fun, sex contained in a marriage can be all of those things. But once it gets outside the bounds of those things, uh, it can be dangerous. And so that's why Paul says that we should flee from sexual immorality. Now... You, you may hear that again, and you may think, well, I don't know about that. I mean, you know, I've never been hurt. I've never been damaged by that. But let me ask you this. For, for any of you who know or who have had a sexual relationship outside of marriage, let me ask you, has it ever made those relationships easier? You know, has sex ever made anything less complicated? Or does it just make it more complicated? I mean, see, that's why Paul says we should flee. But here's the truth. We don't like to flee. We like to flirt. You know, a couple weeks ago, we talked about this idea that our, our idea of sin sometimes is that there's a line somewhere. And like, as long as we don't cross that line, we're okay. And so what we're going to do is we're going to try to get as close to that line as we can and then say, be able to say, hey, I haven't done anything yet, you know. But that's not what Paul says. And he says, especially in this area, we shouldn't flirt with that line. We need to flee. We need to run away from We need to hang up the phone from. We need to turn off the computer from. We need to turn off the television from sexual sin. Paul says we should flee from this kind of sin particularly. And that's why it's really important that in this area of our lives that we set guardrails. Now, I want to tell you, um, I've got some ideas for guardrails in your sex life. These are not from Scripture. All of that that I just talked about was from Scripture, okay? Uh, but these guardrails are not from Scripture. Where they come from are a couple places. Uh, one, if you don't know, Genesis Church has an affair in our past. Um, we had a staff member that had an affair with another staff member. And um, because of that, we put some guardrails in place for our staff and for our elders um, that, that I've carried into my personal life as well. And I think they're very solid. Um, they are uh, in a safe area. But that's the idea of a guardrail, right? The guardrail is built in a safe area that keeps you from straying into the danger somewhere on the other side. Um, But they're not scripture. They're our opinion. Uh, A lot of these are in our employee handbook. And so if you ever come on staff here at Genesis Church or if you want to see our employee handbook, I can show you uh, what it looks like. But you may think these are extreme. You may say, come on, Steve. I mean, really? that's That's a little extreme. Don't you think that's a little much? But the truth is we know... As a church with an affair in our past, we know the danger that's on the other side. 
We know how this kind of sin affects the body and affects the body of our church. And so we want to be extra careful about that. In the same way that um, my friend talked about the guardrail being important when the road straightens out a little bit, what you find out is that when things are really being tested in your house or in your family or in, in your friends' lives is when you're the most alert for sexual sin. And so when you have a friend that falls into an affair, when you have a, a friend that falls into sexual sin and you find out about it, what happens is you put your guard up and, and you and your spouse will be talking about things you need to change in your life. And this is what happened in, uh, in my life a few years back. I mean, I have a friend that had, had an affair, and my wife and I start talking about, okay, what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do? Okay, I'm going to get an accountability partner. We're going to do all this. But then when the road straightens out, you start to let those guardrails down. And so I'm going to give you some guardrails, and um, you can do what you want with these, but I think they're really good. They're ones that I've applied to my life. Number one is this. Don't ride in a car alone with someone from the opposite sex. Now, that seems pretty harmless, really, riding in a car. Uh, and th- these are for married people, okay? So if you're single people, say, well, how am I going to date? No, don't, don't worry about that, okay? I'm talking about married people. Married people don't ride in a car uh, with a married person. Now, you may think that seems pretty harmless, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you, don't raise your hand, all right? But just think, how many of you had your first kiss in a car? I mean, a car is an, can be an intimate place, right? You don't think about it. You think about it as a big um, bundle of plastic and metal and wiring and glass. But the truth is that cars are private. Nobody can really see what's going on in there. Even if they can, they see you for a fraction of a second going down the road. And so this is important, not to ride in a car with somebody from the opposite sex. I'll give you an example. Um, when we were uh, starting this campus, we were getting ready to launch this campus, and there was a lot of uh, pretty massive renovation that went on on the, on the inside of this building. Uh, our staff was all in Noblesville, at our Noblesville campus, and Robin Lee, our director of operations, and I were the, most, uh, the two probably most involved in the renovations of this campus. And uh, we were over here quite a bit, and uh, very often we would have to meet with the architect or the designer or a craftsperson or whatever who, who was here, and um, we would get in our cars at the Noblesville campus that were parked right next to each other, and we would drive, sometimes on the same roads, uh, to get to this campus. And we would park our cars right next to each other and get out and come in and have the meeting. Now, is that extreme? You might say so. But the truth is, we wanted to put a guardrail someplace that was safe. And our employee handbook says a male and female staff member are not supposed to ride in a car together if one of them is married. And so we have that guardrail. Uh, we wanted to put it in our lives. And so don't ride in a car with someone uh, who's married. Number two, don't eat alone with members of the opposite sex. Again, this is if you're married. Now, here's why. Very few affairs start with, hey, you want to go to bed? That's not how affairs start. They usually start as friendships. They start um, as, as a relationship that isn't meant to go there. And so you can't always see the direction that something is going to take. And so married people, we just say, don't eat alone. Uh, with someone from the opposite sex. You know, coffee, lunch, dinner is an innocent way for an affair to start. Now, you may think, um, well, I can eat without being sexual. Well, sure you can. But remember, the guardrail is placed in a safe area, and it's safe um, just to do it this way. I have a a friend that was having uh, troubles in her marriage, and uh, she wanted to talk about it with somebody. Uh, She's not a Christian. She wanted to talk about it with somebody who was a Christian. She knew I was a pastor. And so she called me up and said, hey, can can I talk to you about this? And I said, well, I will talk to you uh, in our office, you know, when other people are here during these hours, if you can do it. But she's got a job. And she said, you know what? I'd like to have lunch. Can we have lunch together? And so I just told her, I said, well, you know what? I don't have lunch uh, with other women because I'm married. And um, she said, okay, I get that, but I don't know that. And so finally I said, hey, would you mind if my wife came along? 
And so my wife and I drove down and, and had lunch and met with her. And, and then she not only got my take as a Christian husband, but she got my wife's take as a Christian wife as well. Now, um, you know, again, is that extreme? Well, I don't think so. You might, but I'm telling you, you got to put the guardrail uh, someplace safe. So uh, don't ride in a car alone, don't eat alone. Number three, don't counsel members of the opposite sex. Man, if I could tell you about the times when I've had people that have started affairs or divorces have started because somebody was having a problem in their marriage and she just needed somebody to talk to. And he understands me like nobody else understands me. He listens to me like nobody's ever listened to me before. Uh, Oh, Steve, you don't understand. She needs somebody right now. She needs somebody. She does not need you. You're a married man, you know, or he needs somebody, but he needs another guy in his life. I mean, even as a pastor, this is difficult. And I've got to tell you, um, you know, ladies in this church, we do our very best to provide good spiritual counsel uh, to everybody in this church. Um, But if you come up here and want to pray with me after the service, if there is a female member of our prayer team around, I will probably uh, end up passing you off to them. Not because I don't want to pray with you, because I do. I'd love to. But we want to do our best to put that guardrail in place. And so um, we try to have uh, females counsel females, males counsel males. We try to put those guardrails in place. I I got a call, um, again, another friend of mine who um, is a young Christian, a new Christian, and um, she has called to check in with me. We kind of run in some of the same running circles, and she's called to check in with me on time to, from time to time about spiritual things in my life. And one time she called and um, then just started talking about this counselor she's been seeing and how he discovered that she has a sexual addiction. And she wanted to tell me about this in her past and all the things that were going on in her past. And as we talked more and more, she started pouring out her heart. And I got more and more uncomfortable, even as a pastor, listening to what she had to say. And and finally, I said, you know what? You need to find a female, because she's not from around here. I said, you need to find a female in your area that you can talk to about this. Go to your church. You know, get a good female counsel. And then I, I hung up the phone. And the next thing I did was I dialed my wife. And I said, hey, I want to tell you about something that just happened. I want to make sure that you know everything that's going on in my life because I want to put that guardrail uh, in my life. So those three things for married people. Uh, number four, uh, don't have a computer in a private area. This, gets, this is so, um, uh, especially for guys, you know, the, the area of pornography is so, uh, it, can, it can really infiltrate faster than you know. And this has gotten a lot tougher with smartphones and, and uh, tablets and things like that. But you need to have some internet guardrails in your life. So guys, whether it's, um, as guys especially, but ladies too, um, whether it's having your computer out, up in a public area or, um, you know, stay off the internet while your spouse is asleep, you might, you might think, well, I got work to do. Well, can't you do work while your spouse is awake? I mean, you've got you know, 16 hours while they're awake. Isn't that enough to do? Or, or make this commitment. Have somebody in your life, a, a, a same-sex a person in your life that you can talk to and be accountable with. And this goes for married guys and single guys, married girls and single girls. Have somebody in your life that you can talk to uh, this, uh, about this stuff because you're not going to be able and willing to talk to your spouse about some of the areas that you might wander into sexually. And so you need somebody that you can talk to that's going to be willing to ask the hard questions and is not going to judge you for hearing uh, the right answers. So, so those things. For married people, uh, some guardrails you can put in your life. Single people. Just gouge your eyes out. I mean, <laughs> there's a scripture about that, but um, single people, it's so hard. Uh, first of all, apply the guardrails um, that, that I gave for married people in your life when you're dealing with married people. You know, if you're dealing with a married person, even if you're single, uh, treat them like you're a married person. 
Uh, treat them like you would want uh, somebody to treat your wife or your husband. First uh, Timothy 5, um, Paul is writing to his protege Timothy, and he says this. He says, treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. I mean, so think about that. You know, if you're dealing, even if you're single, if you're dealing with married people, treat them like they're your sister, because they are. If they're, especially if they're a Christian, they're your sister in Christ. Treat them like they're your brother. Uh, you know, treat them like if they're, they're older, don't treat them like they're your mom. But, um, you know, treat them like you would want somebody to treat your husband or your wife someday. And, and in other words, completely above board. Um, the next one, single people. No sleepovers. Sleepovers are for eight-year-olds. Okay, I mean, I, I know you might, be, uh, you might be having fun. You might be in a dating relationship. Uh, maybe you're even divorced and you've been through this before. But um, you can have a good, strong relationship without sleeping in each other's apartment. And not that, not that sleeping there is a sin. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is the temptation is too great. So no sleepovers. Um, and finally this. If you are, maybe you think, um, maybe you run in circles where, well, it's, it's not really a date unless we have a sleepover. You know, a date equals sex, and that's kind of the culture we live in sometimes, and those are the, that's, that's how we run. That's, that's how the single culture is, and I've, been, I've not been single for 21 years, uh, almost 22, and so um, I may be way out of, out of tune, but I'm telling you what, the Word of God hasn't changed. And so um, if you're in that area where, hey, you know what, uh, dating means sex, you need to take a break. And what I mean by that is you need to put a date on your calendar, maybe six months or a year. And you need to circle it in red. And you need to say, I am not going to go on a date until that day comes. Because I've gotten so caught up in this culture of, of, of dating equals sex and this culture of, um, of, you know, not fleeing from sexual immorality that I need to just take a break. And so what's going to happen is this. Say you put a date six months out on the calendar and you say that will be when my next date is. What's going to happen is in the first month, you're going to meet the person of your dreams. Most likely. And you'll have to tell them. And you'll have to tell them your story. And if they're the person of your dreams, that you can have a good, um, you know, friendly relationship and they'll understand and I'll talk about it. Here's why this is so important. This is, this is why it's so important to us, okay? I mean, so what if sexual sin affects our bodies more than any other kind of sin? What does that mean? Well, Paul goes on. Go back to 1 Corinthians 6. <clears throat> he says this, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, he says, honor God with your bodies. This is the whole reason for guardrails. This is the whole reason we want to do this in our lives. I I mean, God loves you. You know, he bought you at a price. If you are a Christian, he saved you for a purpose. And the best way to honor him in all areas of your life are to live the way that he uh, instructs us to live. But the best way to honor him in the area of your sex life is to flee from sexual immorality. Now, um, one of the dangers of a talk like this is that most of us have messed up in this area at some point in our lives. And so you can hear this, and uh, it can cause you to be extremely guilty about what your past is like. Um, but I just want to encourage you with that. Because we've all fallen short, and our tendency could be to say, uh, you know what, I've already done that, 
So why should I stop now? I've already sinned in that way. I'm, I'm already uh, sleeping with my girlfriend. I'm already living with my boyfriend. I'm, I'm already in this dating scene. Why should I stop now? Well, here's why. Because someday you are going to meet that person um, that you want to spend the rest of your life with if you're single. And you can have one of two stories to tell them. You can tell them, you know what? I was caught up in this, and I heard that I needed to get out of it. But I just kept doing it. And I didn't wait for you. Or you can tell them, I heard about this, and I stopped because I wanted to be pure for you. And while I'm not perfect, and while my past isn't perfect, at one point I made a decision that I wanted to be pure and wait for the right person. And so if you've already messed up, our tendency sometimes is to start doing this and to tear up all the old pictures and to not have any more conversations and unfriend them on Facebook and go behind their backs and talk to your friends and try to pick all those pieces of old flesh out of our flesh, but you'll never get them all out. Instead, what Jesus promises is this. He says, therefore, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And if we can submit to his lordship, if we would just accept the work that God, that God did for us through Jesus on the cross, that we can be a new creation. We can be holy and blameless. And that's what God wants for our lives. He can, he can take what is old and ugly in our life and make it into something beautiful and new for his glory. Would you pray with me? Father God, I'm just so thankful for that truth that... Um, As much as we mess up, as much as we fall down and we're not perfect, that you want to make something new out of us, that that you promise that anyone who believes in your name can be made new into a new creation. And we just thank you that um, that's your goal, that's your plan uh, for our life. God, we are... uh, We're sorry when we fall down. We're sorry when we don't flee. Uh, We we like to flirt. And so um, I just pray for the the folks in this room, that all of us, that uh, we can understand the depth of your forgiveness for where we've messed up. And God, that you would take us and make us into a new creation, that you would take uh, what we've made bad, what we've made ugly, and, and redeem it for your glory. Would you help us in our own lives, even this week, God, as we leave here and we think about uh, the, the plans that we had and the, the things that we've done? Would you help us to see how you can make us new, how you can create in us uh, a new life, something beautiful? In Jesus' name, amen.